The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. If you have experienced narcissistic abuse, you are in the right place. Our mission is to help you understand the abuse you have experienced, support you through your healing journey, and to help you develop healthy relationships. I'm your host, Juliana Aiken, and in today's episode, I'm interviewing Cynthia Eddings. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in narcissistic abuse recovery. She's the author of the Narcissism Recovery Journal, Prompts and Practices for Healing from Emotional Abuse, and has been featured in publications including The Zoe Report and Woman's World. In today's episode, we are focusing on cultivating skills to improve yourself after experiencing narcissistic abuse. Cynthia will provide tips on improving radical acceptance, emotional regulation, adaptability, self-efficacy, problem-solving skills, self-awareness, and much more. Let's get started. What is the most meaningful step that a person who has experienced narcissistic abuse can start doing today to improve radical acceptance? And can you explain the reason why this helps improve radical acceptance? Yeah, such an important concept, radical acceptance. And, you know, as a therapist who works with people that are healing from narcissistic abuse, whether they're in a relationship now or whether they've had a past relationship and they're finding now that they're struggling in their lives, in their relationships, in their feelings of self-worth. Radical acceptance is, wow, it's, it's so important because when you get it, it changes your whole internal perspective on yourself and your life. So the most important or the most effective way to get to this place of radical acceptance is through education. Narcissism is a really unique and different sort of characterological personality disorder. And understanding the dynamics of the impact of it can help you make sense of your own experiences and can start to facilitate acceptance. So educating yourself can come through, there's lots of resources out there. This platform of Unfiltered, their website, their podcasts, and their blogs is a fantastic way to learn and educate yourself. There are YouTube channels um, of professionals speaking about narcissism. There are lots of material on the internet. And actually, that's usually the first way people come to understand that they are when they're they're struggling in their relationship and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And they've tried a bunch of different things to make it work. Um, when they start Googling around and and they discover the term narcissism and then they start reading, that's kind of when the light bulb gets turned on. And um, so radical acceptance um, is an interesting concept because it's not just like accepting and realizing that the narcissistic person isn't going to change. I mean, that's really the first step when you realize that it kind of takes your breath away that it's, you got to back off from trying to expect them to change or doing things that you, you know, you're trying to teach them or help them understand you hoping that eventually they'll get it. You'll explain it the right way and things will get different. It, it, it's what we know about narcissism is that they, it's a really rigid personality to style and they're not going to change. So that's really the first step is realizing that that's not going to change, but it's much more than that because once that sinks in, then there's a lot of other emotions, difficult emotions that can rise up. Um, one of the biggest ones is grief. I mean, it's just like grieving that 
what you expected from the relationship isn't going to come to fruition. Um, you may be grieving the, the impact that it has on your children's lives. Um, you may be grieving the hopes that you have to, that you gave up on. And when this relationship happened or the childhood that you never had, um, you know, you may just be grieving how hard it is now to trust people. And so there's also feelings of guilt and shame and fear. And these are all really difficult emotions to confront, to face, to feel. Um, this is like a big mental click when this happens. And so what radical acceptance gives you, which is, you know, really why um, you want to explore this deeply for yourself and where you are, I guess you could say radical acceptance is on a spectrum, much like narcissism is, is on a spectrum, um, is that, and I see it with my clients that go in and out of of, um, you know, well, maybe it's not so bad, you know, one, one week they'll be saying, okay, I know I have to leave. I'm going to figure out how to do it. I want your help in figuring out how to do it. And the next week they're like, oh, but, but, you know, I think it's not that bad. And, you know, all of a sudden they're being really nice. And, um, and so, you know, through deeper exploration of that, you find that, you know, going back is a way of not having to deal with the, all the uncomfortable feelings. So part of radical acceptance is acknowledging that this is a lifetime of healing, a lifetime of sadness, of grief. That's not to say that's the only thing you're going to experience, but the radical acceptance is that the healing process and the realization of, of what it is will move forward with you. And I'm hoping later on, we're going to talk a little bit about um, how you grow and change and that you can have the sadness and the grief, but continue to move into um, more of who you want to be and some hope in your life. Mm, yeah, thank you. That was very clear explanation of radical acceptance and how, you know, it's, it's not just accepting the situation, but it's like it comes with all these uncomfortable and difficult, challenging emotions that you described the grief, self doubt, uh, shame, and uh, all, all those emotions and feelings. And yeah, and so your tip to really kind of reach this radical acceptance or come, you know, closer to it, is to educate yourself about narcissism and narcissistic abuse because that helps you to kind of see clearly. Do you ever share any like practical exercises or journaling prompts that help people kind of gain clarity of their situation, help people either to uh, come closer to the radical acceptance or yeah, do you have any any exercises or well, prompts? <laughs> so. Um... I, I have prepared a resource list after this, um, after we recorded this, that it's going to be available to you. And for this particular question around radical acceptance, there's so many aspects to it um, that I, I want to just give a nod to the YouTube channel that Dr. Romani created as a resource to educate about narcissism. Many of the people that I run across that are looking for help have really discovered um, Dr. Romani's YouTube channel and um, it, it propels them into being motivated to reach out and get help and find ways to make their lives better. You know, the other thing I want to say about radical acceptance is that, you know, it's really important to educate yourself and think about this component because it becomes then a conscious choice um, that once you're educated, you realize that the other person isn't going to change 
but you have a choice about how you're going to respond to it and that you can navigate your internal world. And um, if the choice is that you need to keep this person in your life, um, it's just realizing how you have to kind of downregulate your your emotions and your feelings. You it's you kind of have to pull yourself back in the world so that you are not constantly um, um, fighting for the other person to be different than who they are. It's like accepting that they are who they are. And, and you, you have to kind of pull back from the fight, which actually gives you a lot more freedom. Once you realize that, then, then it takes the, that struggle out of it. And it's almost like you can take a big breath here. And, and if you're, if you're staying in the relationship, then it becomes an inside job rather than fighting for them to be different than who you are. And so I chose Dr. Romani's YouTube channel because there are, I don't know, she might have hundreds of their short videos and, and they're on all different kinds of subjects and you can kind of pick and choose which one feels like it's going to be most helpful to you as, as giving you the information that you need as you're learning about the dynamic that's going on within you and the other person. Mm, yeah. Thank you. That was really, really great about radical acceptance. And um, I would I would like to move on to the next one that we have on the list. So, Cynthia, what is the most meaningful step that a person who has experienced narcissistic abuse can start doing today to improve emotional regulation? And can you explain the reason why this helps improve emotional regulation? Yeah. So another really important component of healing and moving on in your life once you've had narcissistic abuse and it's practice mindfulness so mindfulness we've all heard it now um and i just want to talk just briefly about what the definition of it is mindfulness is being fully present in the moment observing your thoughts and emotions without judgment about yourself. So uh, being mindful or having doing a mindfulness exercise specifically, I mean, literally, it's like almost like a homework assignment. It's like you go to a physical therapist because you're trying to rehab an injury and, and they give you an exercise to do. If you don't do it regularly, it's not going to help. So mindfulness is actually a training and there are specific things that you can do like deep breathing there's meditation meditation is a component of mindfulness um there's body scans that can help you become more aware of your emotions so that you can regulate them effectively so what this does for you a mind what a mindfulness practice does for you is it helps you find and identify what it is that you're experiencing and feeling. Um, it's so easy to kind of shut down and go numb when you're in a relationship that's causing a lot of stress and trauma. And so actually stopping and slowing down and checking into what's going on inside of yourself um, can actually calm your nervous system down and it helps you make better choices about how you're going to respond, react um, to what's going on. It, it, it creates a, like a, a calm, um, centered place to be with all the challenging thing that that happens in the amount of triggering that happens in your nervous system while being with a narcissist. So um, I have a great resource, unless you have any questions at this well, point. 
Yeah, well, my question would have been like, again, the resource or practical exercise or whatever you advise your clients, like how to actually start practicing mindfulness, like, uh, yeah, any any ideas for how to start? Yeah, so um, this was one of the things that helped me in my initial uh, struggles with being comfortable in relationships, having come from a family, you know, both parents were quite narcissistic in my household growing up. And so I stumbled across John Kabat-Zinn, who created a modality that he calls mindfulness-based stress reduction, or MBSR. And it's, it's actually an eight-week program um, that you go through, and it's very easily accessible now with the way the internet is and um, that you can do online courses, and there's also in-person courses. And um, the, the resource list that you're going to get or that you should have now will have a, a connection to a website where you can find these um they're their workshops it's like an eight week workshop basically what it looks like is it's guided um you get very comfortable either sitting or lying and um it's focusing on just like one part of your body at a time and really thinking about that the great thing that we know about our brains as human beings is we really only can focus on one thing at a time Yes, we can be aware of multiple things at the same time, but to truly be present with something, we need to focus on one thing at a time. So this practice helps train you to quiet or drop the chatter in the background, drop the the voices that, you know, maybe there's a strong inner critic voice. Um, a voice of shame and, and really focus on, you know, it might just be your big toe, or it might just be how the breath is coming in and out of your body. And um, so keep listening because uh, later on, we'll do an exercise together of helping you um, notice how you're feeling in your body right now. Cynthia's tip for improving emotional regulation was to practice mindfulness. I love this tip and I use it regularly as well. But I also want to share with you what else helped me a lot when I started working on my emotional regulation. It involved identifying and naming my emotions. At first it was hard, so I used a list of emotions and feelings that I printed out from the internet. Every morning I looked at the list and tried to identify my emotions by looking at the words. Eventually I was able to name the emotions without the list and I also asked myself the following questions. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling like this right now? Has something happened recently that has led to this feeling? Is this feeling familiar to me? Have I felt this before? And if yes, when? I wrote my answers down and I started to notice better results when it comes to my emotion regulation pretty quickly. But these results only came because I was consistent in my efforts to name and identify my feelings. Right now, I don't need to write them down anymore because this has become almost like an automatic part of my thinking. Identifying and naming my emotions has helped me with emotional regulation because, first of all, it prevents me from simply reacting to my thoughts and emotions. So it prevents me from going into this snowball effect where I spiral down into negative thinking and emotions. Secondly, it prevents me from pushing down my emotions and suppressing them. Instead, it prompts me to face and deal with them, which is how we grow our resilience by facing uncomfortable things and not denying or avoiding them. The third reason why this exercise of naming and identifying my emotions has helped my emotional regulation is because it prevents me from resorting to maladaptive coping to deal with uncomfortable thoughts, feelings and emotions. Fourth, it has also improved my relationships because I'm more present and not occupied with my emotions or feelings. It prevents me from projecting my issues onto others, resulting in less conflict. Also, it has lessened distorted thinking. Before, my thinking was full of cognitive distortions. Now, it's more balanced. 
And overall, doing this simple exercise of identifying and naming my emotions has helped me to stay in control of my emotions instead of letting my emotions cloud my judgment, thinking or actions. The best part of this exercise was when I woke up with a good mindset and did this exercise because then I used that moment to acknowledge all the positive thoughts, feelings and emotions. It just made me even happier and gave me so much more positive energy. So you should do also this exercise when you feel very happy and glad, not just to deal with uncomfortable feelings or emotions. So naming and identifying my emotions has helped me a lot when it comes to emotional regulation. I wanted to share this with you, but now let's get back to the episode with Cynthia. What is the most meaningful step that a person who has experienced narcissistic abuse can start doing today to improve adaptability? And can you explain the reason why this helps improve adaptability? adaptability. So adaptability, right? That's, you know, I think of the word flexible, mm, uh, you know, pliable. And adaptability brings up the concept of change. And that I think a really important thing to do when we consider becoming more adaptable is to embrace change as an opportunity for growth. Change is going to happen. You know, there's that term that the only permanent thing in life is change. And so really when we're confronted with change is to embrace it instead of resisting it, is to be mindful that it's happening (laughs) like be aware that maybe there's some anxiety coming up around things are changing or I need to change. Now that I realize that the other person isn't going to change, I need to change something inside of me. And that can bring up anxiety and discomfort. And um, so if we embrace change as an opportunity for growth, um, there's pause, there's a possibility to develop new skills because you're you're stepping into something that's going to require you to do something different and so you know this is a great skill to actually have because it's not just in managing a narcissistic relationship where things are going to change but it's in your whole life you know things change at work things change in your living situation And um, when you adapt this kind of I'm growing and I'm changing mindset as opposed to this sucks, you know, that that this is happening, it it builds confidence um, and it it builds a, a stronger belief in your ability to to learn new things. You know, instead of being in a situation where you're recovering from a narcissistic relationship, it's, or that you're in one, it's, uh, it changes, it shifts you into um, not being limited or locked in rigidly by your past experiences. So the focus becomes on being able to uh, improve and overcome challenges adaptability, it's about change. And uh, so it's kind of shifting your perspective on it rather than being it's a really hard and difficult thing that it's an opportunity and it may be hard, but it's it's presenting you with, with resilience actually. Mm. Yeah, I really, really like that. So changing your mindset into like embracing change as an opportunity to grow is like uh you know how to improve kind of adaptability so it's this mindset change if you have a client who really is like quite we would say we could say like rigid like really resist change uh, because it brings so much anxiety or some other resistance in them do you, is there any like practical step that you give them like okay do this or try to do this or in order to lessen the anxiety or other uh, challenging emotions? 
Yeah. So what we just talked about with mindfulness really would be where I would go with a client who's feeling a lot of anxiety and resistance is to really dip down into that feeling and perhaps trace it back to a time earlier in their life where something happened, a change happened, and it caused a lot of disruption, perhaps trauma um, in their lives. And that, you know, sometimes we have to go back and touch, you know, and heal and provide some compassion around that experience. So the nervous system can relax a bit and be able to be open to the possibility of things being differently, of things being different and, um, oh gosh, and creating an internal safe space so that they can move through a change while at the same time having a, a space inside themselves that they can go to, to be able to feel safe enough to step out into something which might be very scary. Mm, okay. When you mentioned like a uh going back in your mind to some incident or situation where change was very traumatic or led to a very difficult or challenging situation. Are you saying that because then you can kind of compare like, okay, you know, in that past experience, the change was happening in a very toxic environment or led to a very toxic outcome. So now that I'm in this situation that I have now at the present moment, you can kind of see the difference like, oh, now I understand, of course, the change back then was so stressful and was so kind of created very negative experience. But now that the circumstances I can kind of write down or pinpoint like, oh, they are different in this way and this way and this way. So the uh, likelihood of the outcome becoming uh, the same or being the same are quite low. Is that the reason why you said yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Really good point. Yeah. You have... That's, that's one of the reasons. Yeah. You, you know, that that happened and, um, and I survived it, you know, I figured out how to get beyond it. That's not happening now. And so that now there's like a sense of that I can do this, you know, because that happened now I'm stronger and I can do this. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And then, then you said like that, uh, navigating through change, like it's easier when you have this safe inner space. So really kind of creating that safe inner space, uh, within yourself is like helps. Um, is that again, like, how do you do it? Is it by, you know, building up your self-esteem? So you uh, believe in your abilities to overcome whatever obstacles or challenges that come, come to your way or like, what how how do you is it like self-love self-compassion how you create this this you know safe inner space or how 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 does that happen yeah <laughs> so i mean for me personally it happened in my own therapy with a therapist guiding me and then supporting that as we move through some difficult material in my life that she once it was established then i was able to have that internal space as I move through some challenging things. So it was just a guided, it's a guided imagery. Maybe we'll have time to actually do it today, um, which may be a resource that we can offer those of you that are listening to this. And um, I mean, maybe we could even do it now. Yeah, I sure. actually, the resource list that I'm providing, I've given a book that shows you know somebody who went through a very it's actually an Auschwitz survivor and you may have heard of the book it's called The Choice by Edith Edgar you know it's just like reading about somebody else's experience and how they navigated this huge change that happened in their life you know they were life was good and um, things were going fine and then all of a sudden things changed dramatically a lot of loss a lot of trauma long time trauma and abuse and how she came out of it um so why don't we does it seem okay to actually to do a little guided imagery here right now and i'll just uh give you a taste of this i don't know how long it'll be but let's just try it and we'll see and um 
And if you are in therapy, you can take this to your therapist and say, you know, and maybe have them embellish it more or make it go deeper for you. But I think you can get a lot of benefits from just even doing this for a few minutes. So I encourage you, you know, if you're driving when you're listening to this, please don't don't do it now. Wait until you're in a place where you feel safe and you can close your eyes and relax. And um, otherwise, you know, find a comfortable place to sit or lie down. You can close your eyes if that feels comfortable for you, but you don't necessarily have to. I think it helps to go inside when we close our eyes. But if you want to just keep your eyes open, just relax at a soft gaze at something in front of you, that's fine too. And just allow yourself to take a couple of full inhales and exhales at your own pace, big, slow breaths. And as you do this, allow yourself to get 10% more comfortable. So that might mean wiggling a little bit. It might mean adjusting your low back or bending your knees or just positioning yourself, snuggling into the space a little bit more. And as you settle in, you're gonna be using your imagination here. So I want you to imagine that you're walking down a path and it's a nice day. The temperature is really perfect. The sun is out. There's a cool breeze. And the path feels just nice and easy. You feel comfortable. You're not concerned about anything. You don't really know where this path is going, but that's fine because you feel relaxed and at ease. And up ahead, you notice that there's a clearing. And you feel really curious about this open space. So you move towards it. And you realize that this is a space that you can create something that's just for you. And it's going to be a space that you feel completely safe in, where you can relax, where you're not concerned about anything. And you're going to build this, but it's not going to take a lot of effort because you're going to use your imagination. It's like you're magical. So you can construct a building here. You can make this completely fantasy. So it can be like an animated kind of cartoon space that everything is there that you need to be able to relax and feel safe. It can be an indoor space. It can be an outdoor space. It can be on the other side of the moon if it needs to be there. And just take a moment here to put together textures that feel good to you, the light, the sounds, the fragrances. Is there anything else there with you? Meaning, are there other people there? Or are you alone there? Are there animals there, a pet? What is the view like? And know that you can come back here and embellish this and improve upon it in any way that you need to in the future. So don't feel like you have to completely finish it right now. But if there's any other thing you want to do, maybe you need to make a moat, put a circle of a river of water around your space. 
and bring up the drawbridge. Maybe you need to put a guard post so you have some security so that there's eyes looking for anything that might cause danger so that you can be totally relaxed here. So just finish it up for now. And then allow yourself to rest in this place, whatever that may be. Could be reclining, you could be reading a book, you could be resting in the sun. Maybe there's a pool, maybe you're floating in a pool. And as you're resting here, just know that this is a place that you can return to whenever you want. It's your space. So that the things are going on in your world, in your life that are difficult, challenging, maybe there's anxiety or fear. Maybe you're about to do something that feels really challenging for you that you're not used to doing is to take a moment before you do it and allow yourself to be in your safe place and that know that it's tucked inside of you and that as you step into this challenging event or whatever it is, that you've got this. It's, it's something that like it's got your back. You can lean into this place. Or maybe something has just happened in your life that's caused you a lot of anxiety. You can take a few minutes. Could be You could be sitting at your desk. You don't even have to lie down. You can just close your eyes for 30 seconds and breathe into your safe space. It's always there for you. Before we stop, I want you to just notice how you're feeling now. So just kind of scan yourself like inside and check to see what's happening, what sensations. And if the sensations cause a feeling, just identify for yourself, what is that? And when you're ready, then slowly, if your eyes are closed, let them Crack open a little bit and look around the place that you are. Acknowledging yourself for taking the time to do this. Taking a good breath, maybe stretching. And coming right back into this moment. Thank you. That was great. I at least was in the middle of forest for, for the whole time. <laughs> so, thank oh, you. Beautiful. You know, and that's something that you can do that, uh, you know, to get out your journal now and just write a paragraph or two about what it was, which will help anchor it into your system. Write the details down. Mm. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, then let's, let's move on with our, with our list. And we have here, what is the most meaningful step that the person who has experienced narcissistic abuse can start doing today to improve self-efficacy? And can you explain the reason why this helps improve self-efficacy? Sure. Uh, so this is a term that we don't really use a lot in our normal everyday vernacular. I actually looked it up um, to see, you know, how it relates to self-esteem and it's similar. Um, it, 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 Self-efficacy has to do with how you think about yourself um, and how you behave in the world and how you feel. So I think a really important thing that you can do to help build this sense of, you know, how you feel about yourself and how you think about yourself is to 
establish some goals for yourself to set some goals. And these could be things like, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is I want to work on having better sleep. And, you know, like I, I want to whatever. So if that's what it is, and it means that, you know, perhaps you're staying up really, really late watching things or on screens is to start to move your bedtime a bit earlier, which would be a goal. So if you're staying up till one in the morning and you know it's cutting into your sleep time or it's interfering with your ability to fall asleep, you might wanna just set the goal with, you know, everything is shut down by midnight and I'm gonna go to bed and go to sleep at that time. And so by setting goals, and following through, you have something to celebrate. It gives you a sense of achievement, like you've done that. And you start these little goals. I mean, these goals by they're small. It's something that you can actually achieve without a lot of work. And you can track your progress along the way. So it gives you an opportunity to actually celebrate your accomplishments. So, you know, and so somebody that's healing from narcissistic abuse, the goal may be to five minutes a day to sit down and practice mindfulness, just focusing on what you're experiencing. That may be the goal. And that builds on itself over time. And the reason why we do this is that it boosts your confidence. Like if you can start going to bed an hour earlier, like that's not an easy thing to do if you're in a pattern and a habit of just staying awake and and looking at content constantly. It It's like, wow, I'm actually taking care of myself here. If I can do this, then I can do other things in other parts of my life. And it, it, reaf- it, it, it reinforces your ability to believe in your in yourself. So goal setting and following through and celebrating your achievements, I think is a really good way to start to build how you think and behave and feel about yourself. Mm, Yeah, I really like that tip. I remember uh, I started to doing do small goals like that. One of the very first goal was I said, I need to stretch for 10 minutes a day because I feel very unflexible. And I was like, okay, for a month, Juliana, can you really not do 10 minutes of stretching every day? (laughs) And uh, it felt really good that I was able to do it, even though it was just a simple, simple thing. But like, yeah, so I, I really like how you said that really do a goal, set a goal that it doesn't require like, too much start with one thing so one small thing so yeah so five minutes mindfulness a day for a certain period of time that that is a really great example as well so do you find yourself now just stretching as a part of your daily activities like you brush your teeth every day do you find yourself yeah 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 except uh, I, for the for the month, I did it every day. Now I notice myself doing it maybe five times a week. So I don't always like do that. But then every time I kind of miss it, I'm like, ah, <laughs> and then I make sure that I do it the next day. But yeah, there sometimes might be times that I like yeah. uh, miss it. But like, it's, yeah, it's more part of my routine compared to when compared to the t- compared to the time before me initially setting that small goal. Oh, great. Yeah. Good example. <laughs> and yeah, so what about problem solving skills? So what is the most meaningful step that a person who has experienced narcissistic abuse can start doing today to improve problem solving skills? And can you explain the reason why this helps improve improve problem solving skills? Well, it's a good skill to have, right? To be able to <laughs> solve problems instead of avoid them. Uh, you know, we kind of, if we've come from a family or from parents that are narcissists, our caregivers were narcissists, we learn to 
to see problems as something that we need to avoid or suck in or pull away from and not really face head on because our focus becomes externally on our caregivers to make sure we're doing for them what they need in order for them to take care of us. So if you came from that environment, this may not be a skill that you have. So one of the first things to do is to actually identify like, what is the problem? What is the challenge? And so how do we do that? You, you break it down into specific components and then think about what's contributing to the issue. So I'm trying to think of an example here. Um, oh, maybe the problem is, this is what I hear often, and I know this from my own life, is that that you react very quickly in, in defense of yourself in a way that you don't like. So it may be very aggressive um, and you don't like that about yourself. So there's a problem. And so if you break it down, so why is it happening? You're being triggered, most likely. Something is causing you to feel unsafe and you feel like you need to defend yourself. So once you realize that, then you, you have more information so that you can figure out a way to not be so reactive. So you're breaking it down. The next step is, well, so how do you do that? It might be to, to wait, is to recognize that you're triggered, to wait, calm yourself down and then make a choice. And so that you respond instead of react. So this is another way that can build confidence and self-esteem. So by recognizing that you have a problem, there is some sort of problem in your life. What is it? Break it down into small steps and celebrate when you have achieved moving yourself more away from the problem so that you're not making the prog problem deeper. I read something recently that, oh, this is, I think, really important point to make since we're, we're talking about, you know, what it's like to be in a relationship with a narcissist is that to recognize that you're not the problem. The problem is the problem. The problem is that you're in a relational dynamic that isn't working well for you, that's causing you harm and pain. So it's separating yourself from it, that it is going on. It's a problem and you need to address it. So let's break it down and figure out why it's happening and taking steps towards resolving it. Hey, I hope you are enjoying this episode right now. If you didn't know this already, our mission here at Unfiltered is to help people who have experienced narcissistic abuse understand the abuse they have experienced, support them through their healing journey, and to help them develop healthy relationships. We want to help as many people as possible, but the only way we can reach everyone is if you choose to share this episode. So if you have been getting value from our content, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with others. You could do this by sharing it with your online support groups, sending it to someone dealing with a narcissist, or even leaving a review. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the episode. What is the most meaningful step that a person who has experienced narcissistic abuse can start doing today to improve self-awareness? And can you explain the reason why this helps improve self-awareness? So I'm going back to mindfulness and mm -hmm. self-reflection. And uh, we've talked a bit about journaling. Um, journaling is a great way to get out the stuff that's going on in our heads. So rumination, like thoughts that are just kind of circling around and circling. We don't even sometimes realize that it's happening, but if you sit down and you just kind of write it out, like what's going on inside, it helps you become more aware of, of what it is that you're doing. So, um, 
The reason why this is important is that you get a deeper understanding of your emotions and your triggers. What are the things that cause you to react? Um, you start seeing patterns in your behavior and your thought processes. So once you can identify those things, then, you know, here we are, then you can look at them as maybe problems and you can set goals around how you're going to resolve the problem. So all these things build on itself and it helps you become more aware of who you are, how you got to be this way. And um, it's really it's, so you get to know yourself. And I have a great resource for this that I recently experienced. And I don't know why it took me so long for this to come to me. I wanted to say to find this because I didn't even know I was looking for it. But recently was exposed to something called Yoga Nidra. Um, and a scientist who has a podcast, Andrew Huberman, he has a podcast, it's called the Huberman Lab. And um, he discovered Yoga Nidra. And now he has identified it as one of the primary things that he does on a regular basis, if not daily, like he's got five things that he never goes without. Like one of them is getting sunlight in your eyes first thing in the morning and then weight training he does. And there's dietary things that he does. And um, I think he does cold plunge every day, but he's added yoga nidra. Yoga nidra is a guided mindfulness practice. He coined the word non-sleep deep rest to describe it because that term is more accessible to more people because some people just aren't amenable to the word yoga or the practice of yoga. We have all these concepts about yoga and what it is. And this is very different than maybe what most people think about yoga. And uh, on the resource page, you're going to get a link to a podcast where the teacher that I worked with recently is being interviewed by Dan Harris and his podcast is called 10% Happier. So um, I'll give a direct link to that on the resource page. And then you can, um, wow, th there is so much out there on Yoga Nidra. Just like when you start Googling narcissism, it's like this whole world opens up to you. you know, Yoga Nidra has a lot of resources out there. And um, so this is a start. Um, this teacher, I think, is really great because she also focuses on, she has a component in her practice where she works with people on um, what do you call it when you have like a um, a core belief about yourself that you may have developed in childhood if you had narcissistic parents or if you've been in a long-term narcissistic relationship, you may have developed this core belief that keeps you from being your full self and being alive in the world in, in the capacity of yourself as this unique wonderful, very multifaceted human being. So that's a direction um, that I'm actually now using in my practice with my clients is turning them onto yoga nidra as a way to strengthen the relationship they have with their, themselves. Mm. Yeah, great. Thank you. So to improve self-awareness, you gave journaling also and then you talked about this yoga nidra that this is like a really really great to strengthen the relationship that you have with yourself thank you um then we have social skills so what do you think cynthia what is the most meaningful step that a person who has experienced narcissistic abuse can start doing today to improve social skills and can you explain the reason why this helps improve social skills yeah, sure. So the, the most effective thing you can do is hire a professional therapist or counselor, especially one that specializes in narcissistic abuse. And 
that that would be the ultimate. If that's not accessible to you is to work with a therapist who knows trauma, who works with trauma and interpersonal relationships. Because here you are in a new relationship and what goes on between and how you're relating to the therapist gives you a safe space to practice and explore and understand the things that are getting in the way of you having the kind of social skills or even understanding who you are as a social being. Maybe you're a highly sensitive person or maybe you're an introvert or maybe you're both and social skills are just really challenging for you. Um, the therapist can help you understand who you are and your vulnerabilities, your sensitivities, so that you can practice being in a relationship with a safe person um, where you get to explore and sometimes get called out on ways that you're relating that that where you're getting in your own way and you might not even be aware of. So. Yeah, that's the go-to is to hire a professional. And I understand not everybody can do that. Um, hopefully there's, you know, if you have health insurance that you have access to mental health and uh, therapy services. Another place to look is Psychology Today website because you can filter location, um, whether or not they take insurance, you know, their their fee schedule and their specialties. So that's the the primary go-to is to get help, to reach out with somebody that you have a long-term relationship with over time as you change and grow. Um, they can guide and support you and you can start shifting your patterns of how you relate to others. And maybe, you know, the pattern of how, if you're repeating these uh, toxic relationships to how to get out of that so that the next relationship you get in, you have much clearer awareness of, of how to make sure um, you're not giving yourself away or giving yourself up to somebody who's, not respecting you and loving you in the way that you deserve to be. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds, thank you. So it sounds really like uh, you need, in order to improve social skills, you need to interact with someone. And uh, the best way to do that in a safe environment where you don't end up either hurting yourself or the other person uh, is in a therapeutic, um, in, in the therapeutic space and also because then the therapist has the knowledge about you know narcissistic abuse they have worked with many people so they can maybe you know identify those patterns and more like common challenges or whatever uh, in your situation and then you know like you said kind of mirror your behavior like hey did you notice that you did this or you said this or you reacted in this way what's up with that or you know uh in that way you can really like oh i didn't even notice but if you are in a normal relationship with a friend or something it's not friends they don't always like be like hey why did you do that or hey why did you react this way like people they're just occupied with their own lives as well and they are not therapists you know it's not their job in a way as well to be calling you out or reflecting all the time on uh you know your behavior back so you can gain better understanding of your uh yourself and your social skills so yeah it really sounds like i mean that's that's what i understood kind of the reason why the therapeutic uh yeah yeah that's like yeah you got it you sound like a therapist yourself <laughs> I guess, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah. So then the last one we have is communication skills. So what is the most meaningful step that a person who has experienced narcissistic abuse can start doing today to improve communication skills? And can you explain the reason why this helps improve communication skills? Yeah, we aren't taught this you know, growing up, I mean, you know, a good parent might say that's not how you talk to your friends or um, they might try to mold you, but nobody really 
teaches you how to have really good communication skills. So this is a really good point. I mean, it, it it's really upon us to figure this out. So um, the best way to do this is to practice assertive communication. So what that means is that you practice expressing what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and what you need in a clear and direct and respectful manner. So the way to start doing this is to identify and acknowledge your emotions um, and what you need before engaging in a conversation. So what is it that you want to express? What are you needing? What are you feeling? So that, you know, all this stuff is building. I love how we organize these questions because this brings back the component of mindfulness of, okay, what is it that I need to express here? What do I need? What do I want right now? And so when we start speaking it, we want to speak about our own needs and our own wants and our own feelings, not telling the other person how they should be feeling or uh, what they, how they hurt you or defending yourself in that way. So a very simple concept is to, to use I statements to express yourself. So you're focusing on your own perspective and experience rather than blaming or attacking the other person. So if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, you know what it feels like. Um, so, and then you're often in the defense so you kind of want to switch it around. Whatever they're doing, you want to do opposite. So this would be, um, instead of saying, you made me feel anxious or scared, you would say, I am feeling protective and I'm feeling anxious. And what I need are a few minutes to catch my breath and calm down before I continue this conversation with you. So it's only about you. It's what you need. Um, another way to engage in assertive communication is to practice listening and allowing the other person to speak and validating their feelings. So this means not interrupting. It means letting them say what they need to say. If there's a way, if, if there is a need to slow the conversation down, or if you need a break because they're speaking too much, like I tend to do here is to, you know, to be able to say, Hey, you know, I really want to hear what you're saying but I need to slow down and I have a question. Um, so it's it's active listening, allowing the other person to speak and then validating their feelings. So how you do that is to, you know, it's basically saying, so what you're saying is, or what I heard you say is that, that you're feeling anxious right now and that in order to continue the conversation, you need to take a few minutes to calm down. Did I hear you right? And the other person then can say, well, no, that's not what I said. Or they can say, yeah, that's exactly what I said. So when you have these assertive communication skills, um, it helps you establish boundaries. We haven't really talked about boundaries much today, but this kind of way of communicate is an example of how uh, you can establish your own boundary. I mean, you're making I statements rather than um, blaming somebody else or, or yelling back or arguing back. Um, so this will help you maintain healthier relationships. And if you're looking to get into new relationships, it sets up the dynamic right away that, that, um, you're, you're modeling to the other person what how you want to be listened to and how you want to be spoken to. So um, there are resources for learning this. And so there's a link to um, how to learn nonviolent communication in the resource list.
for that. Mm. Great. Thank you so much. That was really helpful. And um, yeah, we went through a lot today. Uh, we went through kind of how to improve radical acceptance, emotional regulation, adaptability, self-efficacy, problem-solving skills, self-awareness, social skills, and communication skills. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you can do all that, man, you're on a good path. <laughs> So, you know, we've all got our work set out for us to grow and evolve into our best selves. I hope you enjoyed that episode and maybe you are going to listen to it a couple more times if you are planning on using Cynthia's advice, which I hope you do. Before I let you go, I would like to invite you to join our free community. My team and I send out free courses and healing exercises every week. We also host live therapist-led Q&A sessions every month that are 100% free. To join, please click the link in the podcast notes or visit unfiltered.net slash community. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'll catch you in the next one.